the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'm Seth Liebson, in today on the Town Hall Review, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Miami, the site of the third GOP debate for president. The candidates talked Israel and anti-Semitism. Hamas said death to Israel and death to America. They hate and would kill you too. They talked about the security risk of our porous border. If someone in the drug cartels is sneaking fentanyl across the border when I'm president, that's going to be the last thing they do. We're going to shoot them stone cold dead. Our need to restore faith in the American experiment. It's restoring faith, restoring our Christian values that will help this nation once again become the city on the hill. We'll also look at the motion of censure for Rashida Tlaib. She's going to go down in history as a bigot and an anti-Semite and won't be remembered kindly. And the anti-Semitism, the Jew hatred on the rise. People hate Jews because they hate God. All this and more. I'm Seth Liebson, coming to you from Phoenix and AM 960 The Patriot, where I host a program in the afternoon, Monday through Friday. Learn more and listen to my program at 960thepatriot.com. And take a moment to follow me on X at Seth Liebson. That's Seth, L-E-I-B-S-O-H-N. And follow this program as well at Town Hall Review. We'll begin in Miami in the third debate of GOP candidates looking to represent the party and nominee for the office of president. Chris Christie, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Tim Scott met the RNC's benchmarks. Donald Trump, still the strong frontrunner, sat the event out. And joining NBC's Lester Holt and Kristen Welker in moderating the event was Salem Media Group and host Hugh Hewitt. Many Republicans believe that the Chinese Communist Party and General Secretary Xi is an existential threat to the United States. The flashpoint is Taiwan. The candidates also weighed in on Israel's war against Hamas. I would be telling Bibi, finish the job once and for all with these butchers, Hamas. They're terrorists. They're massacring innocent people. They would wipe every Jew off the globe if they could. He cannot live with that threat right by his country. That Hamas should release every hostage and they should unconditionally surrender. I'm sick of hearing the media. I'm sick of hearing other people blame Israel just for defending itself. We will stand with Israel in word and in deed, in public and in private. Our need to restore faith in the American experiment. Our nation is facing some deep challenges. It is the loss of faith in this nation that is a part of the erosion that we're seeing every single day. It's restoring faith, restoring our Christian values that will help this nation once again become the city on the hill. When Ronald Reagan talked about the city on the hill, he was coming from Matthew 5. When President Lincoln talked about a house divided, that was Mark. Our founding documents speak to the importance of a faith foundation. You don't have to be a Christian for America to work for you, but America does not work without a faith-filled Judeo-Christian foundation. And the anti-Semitism we've seen unleashed. 
For everybody that's protesting on these college campuses in favor of Hamas, let me remind you something. Hamas said death to Israel and death to America. They hate and would kill you too. And the idea that they're talking about genocide for the Jewish people, that's not the values of America. That's not us. We're better than that. They discussed our porous southern border. Well, first, I uh, was speaking to a dad who uh, lost a son to fentanyl overdose. Son wasn't a drug addict. He had taken some pill that happened to be laced with fentanyl, and it was a fatal overdose. And when he told me, obviously the pain of losing a child is as bad as it gets. But he said what was salt in the wounds is that these elites in D.C. don't give a damn about what's going on in this country. They don't care that we have tens of thousands of opioid deaths, that the fentanyl's pouring in. They are not taking the type of action we need to. We're declaring it a national emergency on day one. I'm sending U.S. military to the border. I'm going to stop the invasion cold. I am going to deport people who came illegally. And I'm even going to build the border wall and have Mexico pay for it like Donald Trump promised. How are you going to do it? Yeah, Mexico's not going to fork over money. We're going to impose fees on the remittances that foreign workers send to foreign countries. We'll raise billions of dollars. I'll build the wall. But we are going to designate the cartels to be foreign terrorist organizations or something similar to that. And we're going to authorize the use of deadly force. We're going to have maritime operations to interdict precursor chemicals going into Mexico. But I'll tell you this, if someone in the drug cartels is sneaking fentanyl across the border when I'm president, that's going to be the last thing they do. We're going to shoot them stone cold dead. It was Tuesday night this past week when the House of Representatives passed a motion of censure against Michigan Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. The vote was 234 to 188, with 22 Democrats joining Republicans to condemn Tlaib and her vile from-the-river-to-the-sea rhetoric. Ohio Congressman Max Miller helped with the motion. He was a guest of Bob France, my colleague, on AM 1420, The Answer, in Cleveland. 234 to 188. Tell everybody what we did. Well, I'm extremely proud to say, and, and I know a lot of people last week gave me a lot of gruff. Um, and, you know, we introduced a new censure through regular order. I hopped on a privileged censure with Rich McCormick out of Georgia. And I'm proud to say that we got 22 Democrats to leave their own party to join the Republican Party and to make them look like the anti-Semites that they really are. So I'm proud to say that I believe 22 or 23 Democrats joined us, the Republican Party, for an appropriate censure that I helped write with Rich McCormick and Chip Roy out of Texas. And I couldn't be more proud to do so. And I think, Bob, this is a huge victory, more so than the last piece of legislation that was introduced by Marjorie last week. This is how it's done. And I'm proud to say that we got it done for the seventh, for the American people and for the world and the right way. Is the language in this strong enough for you? I read yours. You wrote your own and introduced it, as you said, into regular order. Um, and, and, and I thought it was very, very strong because it went back historically. This one, from what I'm reading in coverage, pretty much focuses on her repetition of the uh, anti-Semitic statement that from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. Is it more than that? What can you say about this language? I think the language is appropriate. I think the language is what was able to get us, the Democrats, to join us in the vote, to be very clear and specific. You know, when we work on censures and resolutions and pieces of legislation, we want to include other people, right? We want to get as many votes as we can. And throughout this process, you know, we were working, uh, say, with the Democrat, Josh Gottheimer, on the other side with language, because he's a Jewish Democrat out of New Jersey who thinks from the river to the sea is a genocidal comment, which it is. So it it was more strategic. Yeah, and it was more strategic to get 
Democrats to finally acknowledge that they harbor, you know, essentially, and I'm going to say a very strong word, Arab Nazis, because that's what they are to a certain extent uh, when they push this rhetoric and continue to stand there on the House floor of the United States and say from the river to the sea, Bob, that's not an aspirational quote. From the river to the sea, that's an aspiration to kill every single Jew inside of Israel. That's what it is. That's their aspiration. That's what they want to do. Make no mistake. So is the language where I would have wanted it? No. But is the gentlelady uh, from Michigan censured uh, in less than 30 in the entire uh, Congress? She is. And she's going to go down in history as a bigot and an anti-Semite and won't be remembered kindly. Yeah, and I, I want to hit that last part. Not only is she anti-Semitic, she'll go down that way. She, she's a terrorist sympathizer. I want that to be very clear. When she refuses to condemn terrorist barbarism, which she did multiple times when asked by reporters uh, if she condemns the beheading of Jewish babies, and she refused to say a word, then she stood uh, in that uh, at that podium crying, and um, Palestinian lives matter as much as other lives. Well, what, what do you mean? Apparently you don't think other lives matter at all. You were asked to condemn the murder and the torture of babies who happen to be Jewish, you wouldn't say a word, but now you're going to break up and get all emotional over Israelis responding to that by by going after the people who tried to kill them? Yeah, it, she has no compassion. And, and what she cannot separate or bifurcate is the difference between Palestinian people and Hamas, right? They're two separate things. But everyone, including Rashida Tlaib, who, you know, is a Palestinian woman and the only one in Congress, but standing up for her people, she is supporting Hamas. You may be asking yourself, what is going on with all this anti-Semitism? What you could only really describe as naked Jew hatred. Todd Starnes turned to author Andrew Claven on his podcast. I wanted to get your take on what's happening out in not just California, but really all over the country where we've been watching this rise of anti-Semitism, Andrew. And now they're reporting from some out in California that before this elderly Jewish man was killed, uh, at this protest, people on the other side were chanting Allahu Akbar. Yeah, well, listen, anti-Semitism, which is, they call it the oldest hatred, and it is the oldest hatred because it's a religious phenomenon. Uh, people try to explain it away. They say people hate Jews because they're successful. But in Russia, that wasn't true. The Jews were very poor, but they were still despised and murdered. Uh, they say that they hate Jews because they won't fit in. But in Germany, they did everything they could to assimilate and be typical Germans. They were still massacred. People hate Jews because they hate God. They hate Jews because of the people of the book, the people who brought us the Bible, the people who through Jesus Christ spread an idea of God through the West and through the entire world in some sense. And people want to get rid of it. And they want to get rid of it by getting rid of the Jews. And you see it, it rises up on the right and the left, but on the left right now, the animosity toward God is something you see all over the place and the attacks, the hysterical attacks on Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House, uh, just the absolute panic that arises when anybody mentions uh, God in a public context, the way he was expelled from schools and so forth. This has been coming for a long time. I've been looking for it for a long time, and I'm, I'm terribly sad to see it, but it's not surprising. Well, I'm with you. We have a big problem in this country, and I'm glad you pointed out Speaker Johnson, because it really is the same narrative, right? Uh, KJP right. people uh, were raising the issues. Uh, you know, they're putting the babies in the ovens, and she says Islamophobia. And then you've got them basically saying on the on the left that Speaker Johnson is worse than Hamas. Yeah, well, that that's right. And I mean, look, look, all of this is one thing, in my opinion. Over a year ago, I was talking to my wife about this thing that they this wonderful phrase they have. 
gender care, you know, the transgender care, where they take a child in and they basically butcher his body into a costume of the opposite sex. And the idea that the president of the United States was supporting this by executive order, that the newspapers and the uh, all the news outlets were telling us we were bigots if we were opposed to this. I looked at that and I said, when that kind of evil rises, it's only a, a short time until they start killing Jews. Because when you are when you are doing evil, you are actually assaulting a creation. I don't mean to sound like a, a preacher. I'm not a preacher. I'm just saying this is what this is what people do when they are at war with creation, their creator. And it always comes down to this kind of murderous behavior, and it's always directed at the Jews. And and I just think, you know, we, we have let this go on too long. Some of us on the right have kind of fallen into this. Uh, materialistic idea. We've told people, we've told young people that everything can be solved by free trade and by capitalism. And no, it can't. I mean, we, we have to have a set of values and that set of values is part of a moral order. And this is what kind of we, we've all turned against. And it's it's just a, it, it, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see it in America that not 20, 30 years ago was a uh, basically a beacon to the world and now is just an absolute uh, shame. And, and the people, the, the wise people in Europe are saying that. They're saying too long, we've taken ideas from America too long, and now we don't want them or anything back. And uh, I don't blame them. I'm, it's embarrassing. You can catch the Toddcast at Salem Podcast Network. Coming up, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. They must be limited in their entirety, and we cannot give them the spark of hope. In the next segment of Town Hall Review, stay with us. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review. I'm Seth Leibson, in this week for Hugh. In the immediate wake of the horrific October 7th massacre in Israel, President Biden and the administration came out with a statement that surprised many of us, in a positive way. We stand with Israel, he said. We stand with Israel and we will make sure Israel has what it needs to take care of its citizens, defend itself, and respond to this attack, he continued. And that was good. In the weeks hence, we've seen the predictable pushes for a pause, a ceasefire, and the like. Morgan Ortegas was in for Hugh this week. 
she turned to former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. One of the things I was thinking about having you come on today, what we're really missing from this administration, which you would have had if you, if you were still Secretary of State, is moral clarity. You know, moral clarity on what is right, on what is wrong, standing up for Israel. Can you give me your thoughts, sir, and sort of grade the administration on how they stand uh, in standing up for Israel in this current conflict with Hamas? Morgan, when your central foreign policy thesis for two and a half years is surrounding climate change, it makes it very difficult when evil raises its head. And the bad guys could see that America was on its back foot, that it was focused on things other, DEI, all, all the things that the Biden administration has put a focus on. And so now you see two wars. And I must say, I, I was listening closely to Secretary Blinken these last couple of days. The moral clarity to which you referred appeared when he was talking about the images that he saw. He was clearly moved by them, who could not be. But when he began to talk about how to resolve this, how to protect the people of Israel, how to protect the citizens living in Gaza, the Palestinians living in Gaza, he began to talk about the Palestinian Authority as the solution. This is nonsense on stilts, and it is dangerous because it belies the morality, the evil that sits in the hearts of Abu Mazen and the leadership in the Palestinian Authority. It doesn't understand that the Islamic Republic of Iran and its IRGC terror force, they want to wipe the Jewish people off of the land. They want to eliminate Israel. They want to destroy America. If you take your eye off that ball, if you begin to say, well, this is complicated, well, President Obama, right, we're all complicit, no one has clean hands, that's just not true. The United States is a fundamentally decent nation, and we stand for good things in the world. So when you lose that moral clarity, you begin to see precisely what we saw happen now just over four weeks ago. One of the things, you know, that is confounding when you see people like Rashida Tlaib pretending attacks by these Hamas terrorists are somehow about finding a political solution for the Palestinian people. It takes away the true evil from what happened on October 7th. I was just reading about some of these Hamas terrorists from one of a European parliamentarian that viewed some of the unfiltered clips. And he said that these Hamas terrorists calling their parents crying with joy, said, Mom, I killed 10 of them with my own hands. Their blood is still on my hands. He called his own mother to rejoice over the fact that he had just killed innocent Israeli Jewish civilians. It's chilling. I've, I've seen some of these videos as well. And Morgan, you and I spent time in the West Bank. We spent time in Ramallah yeah. talking to these folks. There was one thing was clear. They, they did not want a two-state solution. They wanted a one-state solution with Israel gone. Uh, and, you know, I saw today a clip that communications person for the White House talked about uh, the absolute absence of clarity around whether the Golan Heights belongs to Israel. Right. These, are kind of, these, these are the kind of things that tell the Ayatollah, that tell uh, Nasrallah, who's the leader of Hezbollah, that tell them these folks are weak. They're not going to protect fundamental <laughs> truths. Right. This is the more clear, like fundamental truths. This is the rightful homeland of the Jewish people that the U.S. Embassy ought properly to be in Jerusalem, that the Golan Heights is absolutely a central part of the nation of Israel. When you begin to round those corners and you can't speak basic truths, you start to see all the craziness you see in the streets of Europe and of the United States. You see precisely what Rashida Tlaib says when she talks about from the river to the sea. This is, this is dangerous, not just for the people of Israel, but for Gulf state Arabs, for the Palestinians who are living in Gaza and for people here in the homeland in the United States, too. Don't forget, several million folks crossed the border the last two years. We have no idea who they are. The Ayatollah right. may well know who some of them are.
we were talking about how you were Secretary of State, but you were also the CIA director in the first two years of the Trump administration when we had to destroy the physical caliphate of ISIS uh, in Iraq and Syria. Uh, they had started to cut off the heads of people. They were, you know, wanted to be a threat to the American homeland. Are there any sort of comparable uh, scenarios or, or, or anything that's similar to the fight that we had to take against ISIS to destroy their physical caliphate and the fight that Israel has to take against Hamas to destroy their caliphate, so to speak, in Gaza. There's no doubt about that. There is, it's a little bit different in the sense of for years and years and years, the Biden administration, Obama administration before them funded this group. We, we didn't do that with ISIS. That makes this problem even more difficult. But the resolution has to be the same. Hamas has to be eliminated in its entirety. And that means every leader, uh, every foot soldier, Every piece of infrastructure, communications equipment, weapon systems, they must be eliminated in their entirety. And we cannot give them the spark of hope. What keeps them at this is the hope that one day they will, in fact, destroy the nation of Israel. And when you begin to talk about when you begin to talk about things like the Biden administration is showing daylight between the United States and Israel, you continue that spark of hope and you encourage the Iranian regime. We've been talking about Iran. One of the things that we know is that Iran and Hezbollah have sleeper cells in the United States. One of the things that we know is, as you said, almost two million gotaways over the border. Uh, we know that the Iranians have been caught at the border. And, and one of the things I hope you don't mind me bringing up that we know is that the Iranians are plotting at this moment to kill you, to take your life, your family's life, if they can. Uh, you have active threats because of your time as Secretary of State, as do other uh, cabinet officials. So what is it going to take for this administration to admit that their Iran policy, which, by the way, is led by a guy who had his security clearance removed and is now under FBI investigation. What is it going to take for them to admit that this uh, policy has been a failure and disastrous for the Middle East? Morgan, I wish I knew because I would try to make that happen. I hope that that members of Congress, frankly, from both parties, understand that the first tool to push back against each of those threats you described, assassination campaigns against Americans, efforts to expand their regional footprint in Baghdad, in Yemen, and they're firing missiles today from Yemen into Saudi Arabia. They've now had a dozen of attacks on American soldiers in Iraq. The first rule has to be put pressure on the regime by denying them money. And sadly, as we sit here today, the Iranians will ship three to four million barrels of crude oil and receive cash for that crude oil. Mm-hmm. That is lazy. That is the failure to recognize that you got your policy wrong. And I hope they'll change. I hope Congress put in place a set of requirements for funding that tell the administration that you have to get this right. You must enforce the existing sanctions against this regime in Iran. One of the things that you just mentioned were the attacks that are by Iranian proxies, militias, terrorist groups against U.S. forces. We know that there's been at least 40 attacks against our troops in the Middle East, especially in Iraq over the last month. The Secretary of Defense, Austin, came out and said, you know, that they had made these strikes against Syria. What else do you think they need to do to respond to these attacks against U.S. troops? Morgan, this is really pretty simple. You have to impose costs on the regime. If you simply go after the proxies, if you simply say, you fired an artillery round at our embassy in Baghdad, we're going to go find a knucklehead who put the artillery in the air. That's the game they want us to play. You have to impose real costs on them. The president has a wide range of tools, not all of them overt kinetic. He has a wide range of tools to demonstrate and communicate to the Iranians, enough, stop attacking Americans. You spent so much time with Bibi Netanyahu, uh, the prime minister. Uh, What are your words today for our allies, our friends in Israel and for the prime minister? 
hope the Israelis, uh, not just Prime Minister Netanyahu, but the, the people and all of the leadership will do what they know needs to be done. There is going to be enormous pressure, even, I'm afraid, from our administration. Do the hard work that is necessary to protect yourselves, and America will be with them. Coming up, Andrew McCarthy. Bringing this information out in the courtroom, what we used to call that in the 1990s was evidence. Yeah. yeah. Now it's called Islamophobia. When the Town Hall Review returns in a moment. Stay with us. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. In just 10 minutes, I can zip through 10 stories that help me start my day and help shape where I go with The Mike Gallagher Show. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review, brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. So, over the course of this last month, we've seen the mortal lethal attack from Islamist terrorists since 9-11. That barbarous attack, targeted at Jews, claimed the lives of some 1,400 Israelis, including women, children, and infants. We've seen From the River to the Sea protests on American university campuses, Jewish students hiding in safe rooms with libraries, professors praising the barbarous violence as exhilarating. And last weekend, we saw a Jewish man killed, struck by a pro-Palestinian protester in Southern California. And so the White House announces a national strategy to counter Islamophobia. I turn to Andrew McCarthy now with National Review. The White House is putting together an initiative to combat anti-Muslim bias. The initiative, quote, the initiative comes as Israel's war with Hamas, which has seen a rising number of civilian deaths in Gaza, has increased fears of Islamophobia in the United States. It's increased the fears. So, of course, despite that anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish hate crimes outnumber anti-Muslim by about 600 percent by the FBI's account and have risen 400 percent in the last month, the White House is working to put together a commission for anti-Muslim bias. Andy, I don't have words. They're really in the thrall of their base, Seth. Remember, the Obama-Biden administration brought more people who were connected to Muslim Brotherhood, connected Islamist organizations in the United States into the administration than any administration ever had. I mean, we went from the Holy Land Foundation prosecution by the Bush Justice Department, which was the most significant prosecution of of terrorism financing ever. And the Holy Land Foundation was basically Hamas's piggy bank. And in that prosecution, the Islamic Society of North America which is an outgrowth of the Muslim Students Association established by the Muslim Brotherhood, was listed as an unindicted co-conspirator, as was CARE, uh, the Council on American-Islamic Relations. By the early stages of the Obama administration, officials, including Valerie Jarrett, were keynote address givers at the ISNA, the Islamic Society of North America Conference. That's how much things changed in just a couple of years. And it is fair to say, accurate to say as well, that Hamas is the Muslim Brotherhood's representative in Gaza, yes? Yes, the Muslim Brotherhood established Hamas in uh, 1987. The charter is 1988, but they are the Palestinian branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. That's that's not me saying so. Hamas says so in their charter. So, you know, they're part of the movement. You wrote up yesterday, I mean, all of this 
propitiation, Andy. I think that's the right word for it. Bernard Lewis once spoke of anxious propitiation. All of this is leading to something you wrote about at National Review, Director Reg on Iran and the rising jihadist threat. All of this is ca- is really the cause of a possible... I mean, if we have something to fear here, it's not Islamophobia. It is a jihadist threat. That That's where the real fear should be, no? Not that you meant it this way, but I just want to push back on one uh, aspect of the question, which is the idea of having fear of Islamophobia when Islamophobia is not actually a thing. I'm uh, fair know, enough. Islamoph- I take the yes. I take the emendation. Islam- we will call it an emendation. Yeah, Islam- yeah, Islamophobia is basically a concoction of the Muslim Brotherhood, and it's a brilliant one uh, to try to associate the examination of their ideology with racism. So, in other words, the stuff that you were kind enough to note that I was doing in the 1990s, bringing this information out in the courtroom, what we used to call that in the 1990s was evidence. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's called Islamophobia. Nicely put. It is that conversion, that trick or twist of the mind that, I'll use that the word again, propitiation, it is that which is causing the rising jihadist threat. That is the thing to be feared. The jihadist threat is always thrumming along with us, but every now and then it rears its head in such a barbaric way that everybody has to take notice, which is what happened on October 7th. But I think what's happening here is the Obama administration, because of its base, uh, I'm, I, I'm even calling it yeah, the Obama yeah, administration. Yeah. I'm not going to correct you the on Biden that. <laughs> <I'm not> yeah, gonna... <laughs> the, <laughs> the Biden administration, because of its base, can't bring itself to say anti-Semitism in context and by itself. So anytime it mentions it, it has to mention Islamophobia because that's what its base demands. But I would suggest that a lot of the, not all of it, but a lot of the anti-Semitism is driven by some of the outfits that promote this idea of Islamophobia. I marvel at the progressives in the United States because for all their chanting about in solidarity with Hamas and the armed struggle and all that stuff, they wouldn't be allowed to live like for five seconds if they were in Gaza. I say, I say that um, often. You know, take Ilan Omar's domestic policy agenda, and she'd last about an hour. Someone was holding a sign LGBTQ for Gazans, and Jamie Kirchick said, "Check out their adjunct organization, Blacks for the KKK." <laughs> right. I, I saw something like that. It was like uh, the chickens for KFC. Or yeah, something, that's right, right, right. Chickens for KFC. <laughs> Coming up, Robert Wilkie on President Obama. The Marxist notion of capitalist exploiter in the working class has now been replaced by the oppressor and the oppressed. When the Town Hall Review returns in a moment. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy celebrates our 25th anniversary year, please watch our new promotional video based on Ronald Reagan's 1976 radio address, Shaping the World for 100 Years to Come, on our Pepperdine SPP YouTube channel. And if you know someone who's thinking about graduate school this fall, we welcome applications at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. That's publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. I'm Seth Liebson. Over the course of this past month, you could argue that there are a number of things we've seen unwinding. But at the center of it all, we see the wrong-headed and dangerous approach to the Middle East and the broader Muslim world. It was an approach that was started by President Obama and his efforts to normalize relations with Iran. 
Robert Wilkie was Secretary of Veteran Affairs under President Trump. He was a guest of Sebastian Gorka. Jake Sullivan, one of the propagators of the, the Russia hoax, is now the National Security Advisor. Prior to the October 7th attack, he published in Foreign Affairs a 9,000-word article on the sources of American power. He thought he was being very clever by borrowing the title of Kennan's on the sources of Soviet power. And it was a self-written hagiography of himself, of Biden, praising themselves about how everything's going swimmingly and the Middle East is stable, etc., etc. After the October 7th catastrophe, foreign affairs allowed him to go back into the electronic version and delete whole pages of it because it was so wrong. Can you talk to the ideological aspect of having, for example, a president who arrives at Ramstein after a completely failed diplomatic mission to the Middle East where the Arab states refuse to meet with him, and he says Hamas needs to learn how to shoot straight, and then to have Obama at the weekend on a podcast use the phrase occupied territories. What does this do to the standing of America or any concept of us contributing in a positive fashion? Well, let, let's look at the, the underlying currents that are roiling America and the United Kingdom right now. The Marxist notion of capitalist exploiter and the working class has now been replaced by the oppressor and the oppressed. Yeah. Barack Obama comes from the Bill Ayers school of radicalism, where there is a visceral detestation, particularly of the Anglo-American tradition. The, the neo-colonialists. Yes. So cr critical race theory is now placed on foreign affairs. Yes. They call the Israelis white. White Israelis, the same as white Britons and white Americans, oppressing people of color. From your personal experience, this is a man who is nasty. Very. He's not the yeah, nice he's old He's not Joe. Uncle Joe. Right. Uh, he's, he's a vicious backbiter, backroom brawler type. Uh, no sophistication. But go back to what we were saying about oppressed and oppressed. Obama had a messianic complex on top of radical political philosophy. His radical political philosophy. As Limbaugh called him, the anointed one. Yes. And he believed that. Yeah. Um, Iran was his way to prove to the world that everybody before him was wrong. Truman, Ike, everybody. And they, they wanted to bring the mullahs in. Didn't matter what the cost was in American honor as well as American treasure. And you see the effects of that today. This is not Hamas. This is the, these are the mullahs. Yeah. And, you know, we've been dealing with this strain of radical Islam since the Shah fell in 79, 78, 79. And its manifestation now is an emboldened Iran that's part of this triumvirate that says openly, we want to kill America. We want to kill Jews. We'll kill the Jews first because they're little Americans. Yeah. The near target. Yeah. 
yeah. but it's radicalism. It's, it's, it's faculty lounge lunacy. But as a former member of the cabinet, what do our allies and our partners think when they hear things like the national security advisor is doing an Orwellian memory holing of his own article? Well, I can I tell mean, you, could you imagine if, yeah. if one of us in the Trump administration had done that? Absolutely. And I, I can tell you that from my relationships in the United Kingdom, conservative and old labor, yeah. not the original, the original labor. They think the man's a buffoon. Yeah. They all know it. Even the president of France, who's actually the president of France has been very vocal. This man is a threat to French culture mm-hmm. with his wokeism. You talked about what the IDF did in the past, how they took on the might of the Arab world and defeated them. Can you explain what makes a fighting force, even if it's minuscule by comparison, effective and ready? Let's just talk about the IDF. It is is devotion to the people of Israel, the Jewish people and the Jewish homeland and an understand and appreciation of 3,000 years of history. The great Russell Kirk talked about the continuum that began in Jerusalem, moved to Athens, Rome, London, and then London... The original monotheistic... ...graciously passed it to the American Colossus. So that is a spirit that each Israeli soldier has. And it's completely irrespective of political identity, Absolutely. land of birth. And you see that what, is ha- what has happened now. The issues that were roiling Israel from the time For nine months. Benjamin Netanyahu came back have forgot, been forgotten. Both sides are in the same war cabinet. For our people, it has always been the same, that you're defending the idea of America, the uncharted right to be left alone, Mm -hmm. which I think is the greatest of all American rights that people understand instinctively. Um, The goodness of America, the ability to do what you please and to go as far as your talents take you, but also knowing that the government will do everything, the, the military establishment, the leadership will do everything it can to fight quickly and get you home as fast as we can. In order to do that, people expected, the, expected to go through the highest and most difficult training regiments. There was a steadfastness, particularly to the Anglo-American soldier, that you didn't find anywhere else. Yeah, I think Wellington always said that the difference on the field with Napoleon was that I knew my soldiers wouldn't run. And there's something in that continuum we have inherited. And there was always a spirit that America was the good guy. And I know that sounds sophomoric, but that's what so appalls me about what is happening now. We're not led by, in the military, people on the civilian side in particular think we're the good guys. No. We are the font of all problems in the world. Coming up, issue one in Ohio. Americans love abortion. It's enshrined forever into our constitutions now. In the final segment of Town Hall Review, stay with us. Charlie Kirk here. It is critical we keep AM radio in all cars and all trucks. 
More than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for news, weather, and opinions. AM is also the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping you advised of threatening weather conditions and amber alerts. Text AM to number 52886. Tell Congress that we need AM radio in our cars. Again, text AM to the number 52886. Standard message and data rates may apply. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review. This past Tuesday was Election Day, an off-year election with a number of contests and issues we were watching. Among the most important was Issue 1 in Ohio. It was a constitutional amendment that would protect a woman's right to take the life of her baby up to the point of birth. The measure passed with a full 57% of voters in Ohio undermining the dignity of life in the womb. Here again is Bob France from AM 1420 The Answer in Cleveland. This is a dark day in the state of Ohio and in the United States of America. It's a very, very dark time. And I want people to understand this is not temporary. No, it is going to be ever-present. Americans love abortion. Americans, by and large, love abortions. They care not about the pain and the suffering of the babies. They care not about the lives of the babies. They just want their convenient abortions, and no one is going to tell them otherwise. You need to understand how monumental what happened yesterday was in the state of Ohio, because it wasn't just the state of Ohio. Ohio became the seventh state to aggressively reject even the tiniest little restrictions on abortion. We join California, Kansas, Kentucky, Michigan, Montana, and Vermont. We have for decades continued to argue that abortion should be wiped out and should not be protected at the federal level because there's nothing in the Constitution that says anything about abortion. How can it be a constitutional right without being mentioned in the Constitution? Leave it up to the states, we said. So the American people, who, did I mention, really, really love abortion, said, deal. Let's do it in the states. And guess what? Now it is in the Constitution. Not the United States Constitution, but the state constitutions including of Ohio, Michigan, Vermont, and California. It's enshrined forever into our constitutions now. And not just the Roe version of abortion, but the most radical and extreme version of abortion. Anytime, on demand, for any reason, without apology, Safe, legal, and rare has gone from extreme, and I guess still legal, but common, frequent, all the time, whenever the living hell we want. That's what has happened. Thanks for joining us for Town Hall Review. If you've benefited from what we're doing, mention us to a friend. Sign up for our podcast at townhallreview.com. 
Special thanks to executive producer Russell Shubin and producers David Pouchon, Alex Perez, and Jeremy Siegel. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Hugh should be back next week. I'm Seth Liebson, thanking you for joining us at Town Hall Review. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.